just finished off recording with um, Patrick McGill, the podiatrist. Podiatrist? I always stumble when I say that. Podiatrist. Podiatrist. Local podiatrist. Local podiatrist. So, thanks, first of all, to Nicole Duffy for arranging that. Um, She was the one that put us in contact with Patrick. Um, So, thanks for that. It was really good. Loads of technical information. Ah. Um, Loads of information uh, to do with injuries that will be picked up during endurance events, during training for endurance events. Loads of tips on how to prevent them, um, how to deal with them when you have them. And a wee bit of debunking some of the mm. the, the maths that come with right. endurance events. Right. Patrick kind of started on a negative note, didn't he? It was like, ah. just that he, he wouldn't advise doing endurance events. Obviously, uh, we should preface that by saying that any sporting event is going to be... Is going to be uh, there's risks involved. Yeah with everything um there's going to be a, a, a balancing system there and the benefits of exercise always outweigh uh no the, exercise. the risks you know <laughs> so um yeah. obviously he's talking specifically about doing an extreme endurance event you know uh, it's never going to be healthy for the body it's why it's a once in a once in a lifetime kind of thing to do uh, you know we understand the risks as well right. and i'm sure anyone that is competing in this event understands the risks mm. but you could get hit with a bus walking across the street. So. That's it. That's it. We introduced a new uh, feature to the podcast. Throughout the week, we have put up on our social media uh, an AMA. Ask me anything. Well, I suppose it should be AUA. Mm. Ask us anything. The only thing is people well, mightn't understand what an AUA is. Uh, well, Everybody knows an AMA. We'll, we'll start that. <laughs> we'll, we'll start a new trend of AUAs. <laughs> it's a new acronym. So... <laughs> Basically, we put out a post to say that we were bringing the podiatrist on if anyone had any questions that they would want us to raise on their behalf with Patrick. Um, and we got a couple of questions in, so near the end of the podcast, we, we actually cover those. We're going to run that same feature going forward with any future podcast. so uh, we'll let people know through Instagram, Facebook in advance what guests we have coming on. And if you have any questions, then send them in and, and we'll answer as many as we can on the podcast same for us if you have any questions for me or for Aiden um, drop us a message and we'll try and cover as many if not all questions on each episode yeah. well unless we get inundated by thousands ah. the podcast really takes <laughs> off and we're, Joe, we're, we're two Joe Rogans then, ah. then maybe we'll, we'll select a few uh, we'll need to get ourselves a wee Jamie for in here <laughs> self, self, through them all what have we been up to since the last podcast um Training as as usual. If you want to see how much I'm running, how much I'm cycling, anything like that, that you can check check out the Strava account. But same as last time, run the roads, cycle on the roads every day, repeat. But one good thing is I finally feel like I'm on track with my diet. It's only taken me what are we now week ten, <laughs> uh, week ten. But I finally completed a full week of sticking to my diet. So Sunday I'm just gonna binge out with a big pizza or something. Nice. Celebrate. Um, but once I get photographs of all my meals, I'm gonna stick it onto a, a PDF and upload it onto a website. So. If anyone wants to know what the diet plan is or, or follow along or stick to it as close as they can, then, then you can get it online. Obviously, portion sizes and all that are going to change depending on your own 
weight or height or I don't even know how it was worked out. How did you work it out, Aiden? Yeah, it's, it's based around your, your width and your height and your age. There's actually, if people want to, it'll not be specific to portion sizes, but if people want to know how many calories you need to be getting on roughly, there's a feature on the website, it's the BMR calculator, so they could get how many calories they have, uh, they need to be taking on in the, in the day, and then they could adjust the meals accordingly. There you go. It's all, all on the website. Um, before we go into episode four, I just want to give a quick shout out to the people that's donated onto our um, Self Help Africa page since the last episode. So since our last podcast, we've had donations um, from Nicola Duffy, very generous donation. I'm from Nicola, so thanks very much for that. Gary O'Donnell, who's my brawler, um, I've been torturing him to make a donation for a while, so thanks. Tamea, um, who's actually his wife, so thanks again. And Esther Gonzalez, who's my work colleague, that's put a donation onto the page. So thanks to everyone that's donated. Um, we really appreciate it, and um, it's a it's a great motivator to to get out there and run the roads every day. So thanks for that. Over the next five weeks or so, we have a pretty budget busy schedule of events. So this Sunday, we have a. Our second big transition run. So the first one we cycled to Mount Ergo, climbed Mount Ergo. This Sunday we're going to cycle to Muckish Mountain, climb Muckish Mountain, and then I'm going to cycle home, which <laughs> which I'm not looking forward to. So it's a 42 mile cycle, I think, um, down to Muckish Mountain. Now Muckish isn't as high a climb as Mount Ergo. It's slightly smaller, so we get a wee bit of a rest there. But then 42 mile cycle back, which I'm definitely not looking forward to just talking about a seven eight hour session probably had to road about six o'clock in the morning um probably get home about six o'clock in the morning today <laughs> <laughs> so that's this sunday um the following week we're going to take a wee rest uh because we're going on the three consecutive weeks of endurance events so rest next week following week is the Tour de Foil, which is an 80-mile cycle around the Loch Foil. The week after that is the Wall City Half Marathon. And then the week after that is the Quest Ackle. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. It's on Ackle Island. So the guys from Quest, Messi's the page, and they've been kind enough to invite us down to compete in the event. It's kind of like a money version of the race itself. So the race is 250 kilometers. The quest is 64 kilometers and it's same same idea, kayaking, cycling and running right across the Wild Atlantic Way. So I'm really excited about that event. Just booked a wee um, Airbnb down there. So get a night away, get a wee event under my belt. I'm looking forward to that. That's all we have to cover now. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, we bring you Patrick McGill. Episode 4. You're listening to the Coast to 250k podcast with me, Blaine O'Donnell. And me, Aidan Doherty. And we're going to be taking on the mammoth challenge that is the race. This will be a 10-month documentation covering all the highs and lows that come with preparing for an ultra-endurance event. We're live, episode 4, yep. with a local podiatrist, Patrick McGill, and he's going to talk about your analysis that you received not the best news about so do you want to explain a wee bit Patrick about what it is that you do I, I trained in um, Glasgow many years ago uh, graduated in 2002 podiatry is the, the study and study of the function 
an analysis of, of somebody's gait, somebody's walking, normal walking function. It's, it's, uh, your podiatrist is, is somebody who can watch that and assess that and pick out things that maybe you shouldn't be doing. Podiatry is a, a huge umbrella term, which incorporates one piece of podiatric practice, which is your biomechanical, your musculoskeletal, but it also includes other disciplines such as diabetes, wound care, podiatry for children, um, oncology, podiatrists. There's, there's all sorts of different types of what podiatry do, but basically it's it's looking at the function and, and help prevent disease and help treat disease of feet, nail care, soft tissue care, your skin, um, and growing toenails, all sorts of stuff that's related to the feet. A chiropodist or chiropodist, depending on where you're from, um, to me and a podiatrist are essentially the same thing. Right, okay. Um, they're not, as far as I'm aware, protected titles here. Um, so anybody that wants to call themselves either or can my my advice would always be try and ensure that whoever you see is registered yeah and, and fully qualified preferably on the hcpc list of accredited practitioners so yeah. to, they, they're your regulatory body mm-hmm. um and they look after all anybody that works in the nhs for example would have to be with them physios ot's podiatrists anybody any allied health professionals are all with the hpcp and is um, podiatry specific to the feet, or does it include all the lower extremities? Does it include the leg too? It it it's generally from the hip down. Yeah. Um. And nowadays we're starting to move. Um. Certainly in wound care, a lot of podiatrists now are getting involved in leg ulcers and and wounds above the the foot. Mm. I, I know I know that uh, it's going on in Manchester and different clinics over there. Um. So it's uh, our remit is the lower limb. Right. So we look after whatever's going on in the lower limb, um, not in isolation. Um, there are other healthcare professionals that are involved in the lower limb as well. But for me, yeah, foot and leg, uh, foot and leg. is something that podiatrists would spend all their time um, studying at yeah. undergraduate level. Yeah. I obviously, it makes sense for you used to start tying on as many things as possible because as anything in medicine it's all structural it all ties together doesn't it so um obviously anything to do with the lower limbs is, is going to be relevant to what blaine's doing anyway but is there anything specifically you can say about what podiatry brings to like endurance events or any of these kind of events that you're battering away at joints and i, I think from know. the from the onset i probably should have put it out there put my stall out there that i'm not really i'm one that would support endurance i think it's it's something yeah. that um, <laughs> I'm not sure that we're we're built to do. I don't know if we we're yeah. created to do such. Um, Health ways, it's it's not the it's not the easiest on the body. It's, not it's the an best awful yeah. strain on your body, and yeah. and I'm sure anybody that's doing it knows more than I do that that, that, that injuries it can cause. Yeah. Um, and we've discussed previously about getting yourself assessed if you're fresh to this game, getting yourself mm. assessed properly, speak to the right G- GPs, the right nurses. You know, get your the rest of your body just to make sure there's nothing underlying yeah. that uh, that would maybe not come out normally yeah but once you start pushing and pushing any wee glitches that you may have can become sometimes prove fatal and, and yeah. really really dangerous so yeah. anybody that's thinking about it i would always advise to get a good mot by, mm. by a medic yeah uh, if you're at this level but I'm, i know a lot of people don't do that you know mm. but it's just something that to me it just makes sense yeah, because you're going to push harder than you've ever done before. Or right. Most people would do. Yeah, 
Um, so, you could have some underlying structural things there that could end up being something a chronic. Yeah, you could do um, footways and legways. Most people, if they do have it, then they'll pr- just get on with it and work it out themselves. And yeah. it may it may not hamper them. Mm-hmm. Um, and they generally might not need a podiatrist or to be seen by anybody. Mm. But it's, you know, if you have a really bad sore leg in the middle of a race, you stop and that's your race over. Yeah. You know, you're disappointed, you're annoyed, away you go. But if it's something, for example, heart disease or a heart problem or a mm. heart defect, you don't get that chance. So yes. those are the kind of things that you need to get assessed properly. Yeah, uh, having a sore leg and stopping because of that's not a big deal. Yeah. So it's it's the whole systemic approach. Yeah. And getting everything checked over as much as you can. Yeah. And um, what's the best way to go about getting a, a full MOT? I suppose for anyone that's that's thinking about doing an endurance event, is there one person you can do go to that? A kind of hmm. one size fits all. We go and get everything checked by one person, or would you need to single out specifics? I suppose your first protocol would be your practice nurse or your maybe your GP, even for a quick chat. Um, to see where you go from here and what you're planning on doing. And in saying that, I suppose they don't want a massive influx of people coming in for talks and <laughs> chats. Um, but to keep yourself safe, um, because there's many a incident where there was underlying issues that wasn't picked up on and we've got it in all the, the Gaelic um, structures now in football, soccer where they've got their machinery now on, on standby because of the problems of heart defects that weren't picked up I'm not so sure you'll have access to all those uh, different machineries if you're on top of a mountain somewhere so it'd be maybe better to get it checked out before um, so to me it's probably GP and then from there they can lead you off to different specialisms if needed they may check you over there and then and listen to your heart and whatever else needs to be done. But that's that's up to the GPs and the GP world to sort and have a look at that for you, you know. Um, and then you have all these other associated professionals that can help you. Right. Obviously for um, endurance events, any endurance events, this is relevant, but especially so for the likes of what Blaine's doing. This really, really extreme, mm. um, which incorporates a lot of different disciplines. Each one is an endurance event on its own. They're all paired together. So um, there was a guy a few years ago who pulled out of, the, out of the wrist on the first leg, wasn't it, Blaine? He came down with an injury. Aye. Could have been something that maybe with with, a, with an MOT prior to training that you know, he might have found out about. You know. I think uh, he so said he was just cramping up after. Just cramping, was it? 20k or something. Aye, right. right, right, okay. And did he, he stopped? Mm. He stopped that. That was happening, he was bit. Mm. probably 10 months of training too just yeah. right down the toilet and that's that's commendable for him to do that but as I know from even from runners who just run and do marathons I want to say just I've trouble walking mm. to the shopping bag <laughs> but what you're doing is a, of a different calibre yeah. and generally people like maybe like yourself don't know when they stop uh, see I, th- I think it would have to be something really bad for me to stop I'm in that kind of frame of mind where I would just run through until I couldn't run anymore yeah. which probably isn't especially, the smartest thing to do uh, especially because you have this podcast and that now two uh, behind you so you're going to have a following people expect you to complete the event uh, do you know what I mean so there's a bit more pressure on him to not give up I think maybe people um, expect him to try the event mm. it's, it's, that's, it's the trying of it and the process and, uh, and the working through and if it, it doesn't happen and you don't finish mm. because of whatever reason this is this is still all really good it's yeah. still a good you know a good focus for People have talked things through and different disciplines. So it's not maybe to me, it's not necessarily, first of all, I wouldn't be advising you to do it. Yeah. But it's not, it really is the competing. Mm-hmm. It's been there and being involved. And if you don't 
you need to have that in your head that you know maybe you'll try it again or maybe something just doesn't happen on the day but it's not failure if it's not finished um, yeah it's a sport and it's an activity it's exercising um it's not that important mm-hmm. but then again i'm not in this world that you are in so yeah. what do i know <laughs> <laughs> when you say you you wouldn't advise um anyone to do an event of, of this scale what are the risks um are they short-term risks or is it more long-term you know you'll pay for it when you're 60 years old that kind of thing or i think it's it's both mm. you you would like to think that you would know the short-term risks because you've been leading up to it and training and you've been you know you know your body you know yourself um it's, and long-term risks is it's just it's a mammoth task for for everywhere for your whole body and i don't know if we were designed to do that and to do it at a pace and yeah. to do it for such heavy endurance your arms all your joints you know the, there's an awful lot of movement going on a lot of friction yeah. um there's just so much that can go wrong um and it all depends on, on how it's how it's managed as well and you know what they have there for you at each station and each change yeah making sure your electrolytes are good and your you know your your your, your salts and stuff is all good and i'm sure that's yeah. all part of the bigger picture mm-hmm. uh, from what we've gathered anyway, the the event itself is pretty well organised. Yeah. There's there is um, certain things that you have to include in your in your transition boxes and all that. So they'll they'll make sure everyone has enough resources to get them round the race. Mm. But I suppose it, it's more more the damage to your body that mm. you're doing long term than that's that they can't really control. I suppose no, and and you might not know for 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 a while to come. Um, simple things is osteoarthritis that comes up years later. Um, it's a classic old wear and tear. An awful lot of the debate about what causes it. Is it hereditary? Is it to do with injuries, old injuries? Um, what we do know is that there is wear and tear of of um, in between the joints, the menisci, or not sitting properly, or some kind of damage. Um, so it could be something simple where you are, you are because of the shape of your foot and the way that your foot is whenever you're motion. It might put on more pressure on your knee. And then that pressure multiplied by a lifetime of sporting activities may well wear that side down more than the other. Right. Um, but the, the most common injuries, um, of course, are your patellofemoral pain, um, Achilles tendonitis. Mm. It's a biggie. It's huge. Um, hamstring injuries, plantar fasciitis, um, shin splints. Yeah. A band syndrome. Yeah. Uh, and of course, stress fractures. Stress fractures is just going to most likely stop you. Anybody that's ran through a stress fracture, you know, it's <laughs> not good. And, and I'm looking at you thinking, well, maybe you do do that. I don't know, but you have to remember that pain is is the first sign of your body saying something's not right. Yeah. You know, don't always run through it. Um, but if you're at this level on the day, you know your capabilities and you know what you can push in. You'd hope people would recognise when they stop. Mm-hmm. A lot of those things, if, if that was to happen during a race, they would probably stop you anyway. And if you run, if you run with um, shin splints or plantar fasciitis, which you've never had before, um, you, you'll know all about it for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and a podiatrist might not be any good to you long term. It will be a surgical route. Right. Uh, and so, in, in most instances, certainly for stress fractures, and um, if you continue to run on a stress fracture. You risk all sorts of problems. You know, you you going to malalign that bone. It's it's a stress fracture. Um, there's great 
potential for it to break whilst you're running. Um, so you could end up in an awful mess. And what about um, <clears throat> precaution-wise then, and an advance aside from you know pulling out when it gets really bad? Is there anything that I can do in the lead up to training to reduce the risk of any of these defects? I suppose it's different for specific things, like isn't it? It is, and there's no algorithm for you to say check all these different. I mean, I, I've I've assessed your feet, I've looked at your feet, and you're obviously managing and have managed up until now mm. pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's always that argument: well, why get involved with with an orthotic or a pair of insoles in your shoes yeah. if you're managed? Um, yeah. My personal opinion there would be possibly leave well enough alone. Unless there's something major yeah. gaping out, then leave it alone. Because whatever you've got going on, you've compensated for it over the years. Your mm. body is, is working around it. Maybe it's not ideal, but you're still getting by. You're still managing. As far as firing an orthotics or, or into a, a shoe or a f- someone's foot that doesn't come to me with a problem or a pain and never had a problem or a pain, I, I really couldn't clinically justify doing something to somebody yeah. Unless they had an issue. Yeah. You know, we're all different. We, you know, you, you, you can't take everybody's appendix out mm. just in case it goes wrong. Yeah. yeah. Morally, ethically, you, you're not going to survive in, in that kind of world, thankfully. Um, but uh, it's, it's, it's making sure there's nothing obvious going on there um, that can be picked up and sorted out. The, 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 the famous one for me was um, an experienced marathon runner, long distance runner, who was continuing uh continual problems with stress fractures in her foot and it turned out that she had a, a, a very pronated foot a foot that was was um wasn't a good foot and the comments that she made herself um which caused her problems for about 18 years after that and uh, she had a, a non-union stress fracture um and it turned out that after seeing a podiatrist who discussed an, an, an x-ray her um and got everything and um, sorted out for she um she she realized that there would have been fewer complications with her injury if, if it had been diagnosed earlier and that was Paula Radcliffe mm. so she's she's a big uh, she's, she's wearing orthotics yeah I don't know if she's still wearing them I haven't right. I've never seen her <laughs> but as far as her and, and her opinions um, she felt that she could have been doing with orthotics an awful lot sooner and is that one of the things that you picked up on I thought was it was over pronating uh, you're right was over pronating I think mm, pronation Pronation is one way, supination is the other way, mm-hmm. and you need both. Uh, both happen to to walk for good for good um, gait analysis for gait for uh, for gait. You need both, and sometimes if if the speed of each is more than it should be or less, then that can cause problems. So if you're if you're pronating too much, the, and it's causing you problems, and you're getting issues up the chain up up your leg, then it needs to be investigated. But the whole issue of pronation and supination. What's normal? What is the normal pronation? Mm. We don't really know. Your pronation might look more than somebody else's, but that could be normal for you. So a lot of shops and and outlets would say, you're pronating, you need this device. It's not always that way. Your pronation could be normal for you. Um, And again, to me, it's all about the symptoms and symptomology. What's wrong with you? You, in, In your case, you've got one foot which is grossly pronating. Yeah. Uh, and then you have the other foot, which is supinating. So on one side you're going one way, and on the yeah. other side you're going the other. So I'll be running around in circles then. You be you be <laughs> in circles all day. <laughs> um, 
Well, this is a good segue on the your actual analysis plan. So, will we will we speak about exactly what turned up then, as well as the the pronation? Uh, well, one the the first thing we picked up anyway when I was sitting on the chair was the the leg length discrepancy. Isn't mm. that the first thing we we pulled on? Mm. Most people would have a, a slight leg lift discrepancy. It's it's quite normal. Um, yeah. Well, they're just malaligned. Um, you've structural. Uh, leg length discrepancies uh, in the leg, which is from inequalities in your in your bones, yep. um, and then you've got functional where they appear, they, they appear to be different, but in some cases they're not. They're they're the same. It's just how you present and how it's measured. Um, so these would be, whenever there's a difference in the lower leg, uh, and, and they're shortening, and it's nothing to do with the bone. Um, and as I say, there's about seventy percent of the population that would have leg length discrepancy. But they don't all need treated. You don't. You don't have to be treated. They're not. Again, you're managing. There's marathon runners, not in pain. They've got leg length discrepancy. Do you treat unless they're in trouble or breaking down? I probably wouldn't. But there's there's big differences too in the in the in the in the length of of legs and limbs, um, with unacceptable ranges. Yeah. And then of course people have broken their leg, and for whatever reason their 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 leg is now shorter than the other, mm. or of course, the common other one would be Perthes disease, which a lot of people can get as a as, as, as a child, where they they damage the hip. There's a, an area in the hip which loses blood supply and it, it doesn't form properly, and they get necrosis of the hip, which then the, the the growth's not the same. There's problems with the hip, and ultimately you have a difference in the length of your legs. So that is a leg length discrepancy, and in most cases you you would see people that would have. Fitwear may be designed bigger on one side because of this leg length discrepancy. So it it is something that's there. Mm. Um, there is a big debate, or there always will be, as to whether it's a true leg length discrepancy or is it rotation of the pelvis or is there a problem with the spine or is there yeah. a curvature of the spine. That's all fair enough. And that's all stuff that you you, you have to, you, you've got to think about whenever you're discussing leg length problems. As far as the leg length and running, um, the mechanics and running... Um, course is much different than walking so you may well have this leg length problem as a walker and never know you may start running and of course different stresses and strains on your foot and on your legs you'll notice it more and as i say there's conflicting evidence about um the running effect of the leg length as well so if you're not in pain you're not sore it's not giving you problems and my opinion is leave it alone if if on the other hand you've got you do have disorders or, or, or problems you're looking at lower back pain you're looking at hip pains, um, fractures. You may have one group of muscles atrophied uh, in comparison to the other because one leg has to work harder. Yeah. You might have um, one leg, uh, knee would be circumducting, so it's twisting more. Right. Generally the longer leg because in the gait cycle. Um, and that can sometimes cause problems too. Mm-hmm. Um, but we try and stick to evidence-based Practice yeah. and evidence-based medicine is what we do, as, yeah. as where we can. I think that's a good place to start for looking at your leg length discrepancies, and there are there is literature out there, yeah, to support both sides. Yeah. So you know it's it's um. So unless the the le- there's a a big disparity within your your two legs, it's not something that needs to be no needs to be addressed no. unless it's there's a big difference there. Yeah. Yeah. And it's something that needs to be looked at. Yeah. Especially for an endurance event too. Absolutely. Yeah. You would want to keep keep an eye on it. Um, as I say, lower back pain may cause 
tightness in one group it might look like a leg lift discrepancy but that's yeah. easily measured mm-hmm. um you pelvis shift um and, and an opponented foot as well can give you a leg length discrepancy mm-hmm. um and then you've got the scoliosis of your back as well and and the iliotibial band syndrome mm-hmm. so it's something that you do need to consider if you're if you're going to do anything endurance it's, it's something i would be looking at in all athletes yours was very evident Yours, yeah. yours jumped out at me. Uh, uh, when you pointed it out, then you know, you don't, you hadn't even said anything to Aiden, and you kind of says to me, then stand stand back there against the wall, and says to Aiden, what do you notice about his leg? And Aiden was able to pick it up straight away as well. So, your 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 was pretty obvious. Your first assessment starts when you see somebody in the waiting room, generally, and you see them walking towards you. You watch them, and you can see variations and differences, and everybody walks differently, but. In your case, there was a bit of a tilt mm. going on with your shoulders. Ah. So it's not just the feet and legs that you look at. You need to look at the whole system. Mm. So that kind of was me cheating before you sat down. <laughs> I knew there was something. <laughs> well, I even that you saying about the tilt, I had noticed that well in advance. Um, th- when I'm training the gym and I'm running in front on a treadmill, there's a mirror directly in front of me. And I'd always noticed the kind of wee dip on my right shoulder. But it's, like I say, it's ne- never been an issue or anything. It's just, I, I always thought it was just a the way my posture was or whatever mm. that's that's just the way i carry myself mm. but then when you look deeper into it and and see it's it's pretty interesting i would imagine as a podiatrist even when you're out socializing with friends you must be just looking at people and going i reckon there's, really, I reckon there's really something there <laughs> you, you do you can't switch you off do. yeah you do you see it and, and and you know you have to pull back and and it's not right to go and pull somebody yep. in the street and say come here a minute uh, you having trouble such in here and you know yeah. we can do this for you yeah. um you don't you can't work that way yeah um tell me how unique is people's gait it's just a, a scene um i was watching netflix that there, there's a show called the punisher and it, it goes <laughs> missing going, it goes yeah. missing in the city or whatever and they're like how are we going to find him so they have access to all the cctv in the city and yeah. they track him down yeah. by doing a like an algorithm that pulls his gait so yeah. his individual gait analysis there is everyone's gait that unique that can you have two people with the exact same gait or is it like a fingerprint almost mm. that's a really interesting concept um there, there there's definitely um, forensic podiatrists employed right oh, wow. uh, all over the world so they they, they can look at things um and shoes and footwear um and, and tell an awful lot about you from your shoes mm-hmm. right from your from your footprint from the shape of your toes how your toes are formed where they are are they are they actually meeting the ground are they is there one or two of them up in the air so everybody's different right um are there are there people whose gates are the same i don't know i would be inclined to think everybody's different right um and if we go back to looking at somebody walking you know if you've got say for example you've got a bit of arthritis on your big toe joint yeah and you're not able to bend that toe joint properly in the full range of motion and instead of you bending your foot to toe off you're going to twist your foot out the ways yeah so that's going to show whenever you're walking so right. straight away you know that the person you're looking for may well have this condition hallux yeah. limitus we call it wow. um limited movement of the hallux which is your big toe so that might be the kind of things that people are looking for. So right. we see this man or woman yeah. uh, twisting whenever they're walking. So that yeah. could be something. That's what they're looking for. Wow, that's very interesting. That's that's itself. So that's awesome. there's a, there's a, um, I thought it was just a whole, 
Hollywood speedy, but no, I suppose no, there is no. a. I would say, well, I, don't, I haven't seen it. I don't know what way they built it up, ah. but yeah. there's definitely stuff there that people walk differently, and, and yeah. um, pain makes you walk differently as well. If somebody's limping or their yeah. back of their hip, um, and then again, you can soon find out somebody who with hip pain and put yeah. two and two together. Yeah. I don't think it's as as, as magic as, for example, <laughs> your you know your 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 mouth and the yeah. dental plates that your mouth can yeah. show. Yeah. Uh, how definitive and exact that is. Yeah. But yeah, there's definitely something around watching somebody walking in their gate. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing Blaine had was he had a bit of extra growth on the on the knuckle below his big, big, big toes. That is, he couldn't get his toes bent up quite so, as far as he should have. How yeah. How is that going to affect us during the... Well, again, if, if you're not getting toe off mm-hmm. and, um, during propulsion, yeah. uh, it's, it's going to affect your, your, your kinematics and it's going to affect how you use energy and how you walk so he's not going to be able to toe off properly mm-hmm. um, but it hasn't really held him back he's yeah. fine um, yeah. it's trying to it's people coming to you with problems and pains and taking a really good history yeah the history is probably more important than what you see visually it's spending time to go through what they've done where they've been um, what procedures they've had what activities they're doing what sports they're doing how often how regular um, where their pain is, when does it get sore? Uh, what footwear are they wearing whenever it's sore? Is it their Sunday shoes? Um, is it their Saturday night shoes? It's just uh, the history for me is is is, is everything. It's yeah. it's picking up on the history first, and then asking the, the right questions, mm-hmm. the right time. So yeah, having a condition of the big toe can hold you back. It can cause issues. Um, but in his case, it's not. He's yeah. he's um he's able to fire away. Mm-hmm. See. So just when you're saying about shoes there and I was on looking at because I need to get new running shoes and then you see there's that many different pairs of running shoes out there and even the price range you know varies massively I just kind of want to see how important are your running shoes um they're shoes for when you're running if you're coming down your heel they've mm-hmm. got a thicker heel or if you're coming down your toes or if you're coming down your flat there's shoes for this that and the other how important does that, or will any pair of shoes do? Mm. You'll, get some, you'll have some, like, I think it's Lifestyles Fitness does, they'll put you on a treadmill, and then they'll recommend a pair of shoes for you. Yeah. So it must be kind of like a gait analysis, a very rudimental one, I would say. Mm, it's not something I would buy into. Right. Um, I think at best, they're going to measure or look at, I don't think they would be measuring, um, but they'll probably look at the pronation and the supination. I don't know if they go into mid-stance, Heel strike, propulsion, I'm not sure that they would be equipped to do all that at, at any great le- depth. Yeah, right. I could be wrong. But for me, you'd want that to be assessed by your uh, aptly qualified podiatrist or, yeah. or physiotherapist. There's a lot of physiotherapists involved in gait analysis mm-hmm. and the provision of orthotics. Um, so there's there's basically all sorts of different companies that would offer you a gait analysis yeah. um, using machinery. Mm. But I think that the, the important thing is podiatrists were diagnosing uh, and physios were diagnosing and, and, and correcting feet way before any machinery was invented. Yeah. If you're naked eye, um, watching what's going on and, and, and assessing joints whilst someone's walking, it's really, really powerful. Yeah. Um, it's nice to be, you know, checking movement and checking range of motion with foot, someone sitting down, but you really need to see them walking and standing to mm-hmm. see what's going on. So I'm not sure I would buy into the whole anti-pronating devices and stuff you know footwear and um we were all so different mm. um i'm not sure that a, a running company can fix you there and then within the 15 20 minutes yeah uh, but it's a huge 
huge area, footwear, um, or, or or if I can maybe put a spanner in the works, don't wear footwear. Right. You know, the, the minimalist um, running debate as well as out there is it's, I think the bottom line is do what you are used to do and do what's comfortable for you. Yeah. I'm not sure 300 Euro, euros or 300 pounds on a super new Nike um, Predator running boot or whatever it is can make that much difference. So if you if you find a shoe that suits you, it doesn't necessarily need to be a really expensive one. If it if it suits if you're comfortable on it and you don't get any pain from it running and they're not it's not necessarily expensive, that's fine too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then there's the whole uh, again going back to the evidence. A lot of stuff can be opinions, mm. but you need to derive your opinion from your evidence that you've seen and you've read. And now that the evidence now is 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 wear shoes, not wear shoes. And, and and it's it's always going to be a, an ongoing debate. There's a great book, um, Born to Run. Uh, it's worth the read. Well, yeah. well, regardless of which side you go down, Christopher McDougall's a, a journalist, um, and he talks about the minimalist shoe. Mm-hmm. So he he found um, a group of runners that ran, and they could run. They're hidden tribes, super athletes, and and, and the book which he subtitled is. Uh, um, the greatest race the world has never seen. Yeah. Um. You've got these elite marathon runners, and ultra marathon runners, mm. who run and travel deep into their canyons, and they use barefooted and sandal-clad runners. So this Indian tribe. Um. And from that, he he lived with them and he studied them. Um. And it ignited a huge craze for barefoot running. Yeah. Um. Pretty much nothing on their feet. Yeah. Um. Well, you do see shoes like that now, and they they are quite popular. Um, you see them on Instagram where it's it's a running shoe, but it's almost like a a fitted sock. Uh-huh. It looks like a glove that goes on your foot. With and just the, a sole. Uh, yeah. with just a sole. You see a lot of that now, actually, online. I think has, has there been any long term studies on the what kind of effects they have? That's what you'd need to look for. Yeah, that's what's going to help guide you. Yeah. from a, if you were going to be purely scientific. Yeah. Um, but. I don't know if they could do that because to do a long-term study and have a good, robust methodology, you're going to have to have all your participants the same mm. and you're never going to achieve that. Yeah. So everybody's different. Yes. Everybody's gait's different. Yeah. And even in the lab, it's very difficult um, to mimic everybody to have the same. Yeah, it's hard to control. It's, it's, it's one of those studies that's it's a great idea, mm. um, but to actually do it in a, a robust you know randomized controlled trial mm-hmm. top grade level a evidence it's, it's i don't know if it could be done yeah uh, but a lot of it's just opinion mm-hmm. of, of what you should be wearing and shouldn't be wearing um i suppose it could depend on the individual too couldn't it if maybe a minimalist approach isn't something that a certain person um if, if it, it mightn't work for a certain person but for somebody else it could work just mm. depend on mm. what structural things they have and there's no right and wrong mm. people run on their forefoot people run they don't heel strike yeah um they're no worse and no better than anybody else that's mm. how you, that's what what they do so there is there's no recommended way to to plant your foot when you're running it's just whatever works best it's I suppose. It's, it's whatever you you do yeah it's whatever you're used to doing it's whatever you've you're you're you I think everybody's looking to plant a flag somewhere, aren't they? Or like, this is the right thing to do, plant a flag in here. But in reality, it's it's very individualistic. If you look at the, 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 the top marathon runners and sprinters over the last 10 years, they're, they're all going to have different gates. They're probably all going to have different footwear. Mm. They're all going to have different styles. Yeah. There's, there's, and that's the, the beauty of sport. 
it's not all the same. Um, it's the same in all sports and footballers. Mm. They're they're all different. Yeah. And there isn't one thing where you can prescribe, do this, this, and this, and you will be everything. You know. Yeah. It's it's the beauty of sport is that everybody's different and and no, there's nothing. There's no magical pair of footwear that'll yeah cover everything and mm-hmm. sort everything out. And the last thing you picked up on with Blaine was his uh, right shin was bowing out too. Was that, could that have been just due to the pronation or what could that have been? Could that have been structural or? It, the right one was the one where there was excessive pronation. Yeah. So you have a foot which it would appear in the old terms as a flat foot. It's a yeah. foot that's, that, that um, it, it's not sitting as the other one was, um, which to me looked quite, on the side of being supinated and neutral, mm. um, so from that point of view, it was probably a over pronated fit yeah. comparison to the other one, um, and then from that you had this uh, tibia virum. It's a it's a curvature of the of the shin, mm-hmm. um, and that may be well be there because of how your foot sits and, and walks and, and how your foot um, joins with the, the talus, the bone right. under the the mm-hmm. under the tibia. And how how common are things like that? I, sp- I suppose if you really look, you could find issues and errors and problems and uh, mechanical problems with, with everybody. Right. Um, but it's about what level you intervene. Mm. When do you intervene? Yeah. If you're running, you're running well, you may well have all sorts of different problems. I do know a few athletes that have proper tibial varum where the both legs are bowed. Right. Um. And there's no way that anybody would get involved with them or do anything differently because they're, they're um, they're not needing it. Yeah. You know, why get involved just because it it says it in the book that you should correct it? Yeah. It's, you know that 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 symptoms guide what you have to do, yeah. and if there is no symptoms, m- m- leave it alone. Yeah. And can this, can, what can this mean for his knee? Can it end up being something? Well, you could you could argue that you could say your pronated foot, your your the rest of your foot's coming in, um, your knee's not sitting properly, so the 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 angle hmm. above the knee, the cue angle going on up up the waist towards the pelvis, um, potentially isn't sitting properly. So you may well develop wear and tear osteoarthritis hmm. at a point in that joint. So that's stop you from pronating and then straighten everything up. And make your knee work better, yeah. Which you you probably could do, but would that prevent long term problems? It yeah. might. It might. Again, long term studies would would help in that area. Um, but certainly, it does make sense if something's not sitting and it's not aligned properly, mm-hmm. and it's not rubbing properly. Then, if you have something that you can fix it and straighten it, my advice would be probably go down that road. Yeah. Just thinking because it's going to have a lot of repetitive impact from now especially on the day but even through his training like the training at the minute is very low intensity so it's not like he's out pounding the roads but because it's low intensity he's out there for a lot for uh, a long duration of time you know the sessions are long they're they're not intense but they're long mm. and it's just a lot of impact um and then especially on the day too we just want to try and get him there free of injuries and hopefully complete it like that's the last thing I want to be is standing on the start line with some sort of mm. injury. And an awful lot of people do do that. Yeah. And they do turn up and they do have niggling injuries and they're full of medication that maybe they shouldn't be taking. Yeah. And we know long term uh, use of of um, over the counter medication in athletes isn't isn't good. There is a relationship between somebody being on long term 
anti-inflammatories yeah. um, and different types of conditions and illnesses. It's not something that you should be doing. And I'd never recommend someone to dose up on anti-inflammatories or painkillers before a race. Yeah. To me, that's just ludicrous, crazy. Well, um, this, is, this is something we were actually talking about on the way on. I pulled up a few stories just because it was you actually mentioned it, mentioned this to us um, during Blaine's analysis. And you were saying there's a bit of a, maybe not a scandal, but certainly some controversy around painkillers during endurance events. Mm. Um, so I think it's going to be, I was saying to Blaine, maybe it could be, we could devote an episode of the podcast to this in particular. We were thinking about getting a cardiologist on anyway. Mm. So if we had if we had that, and um, we did an episode on, on, on that, that would be really interesting. But I pulled up a few studies, and it was just saying about people taking you know, analgesics, painkillers to help them finish events so they're not in pain, you know. And most of the studies seem to see, you know, they're, they're pretty small scale, but their cohort studies seems to be that people don't, they're, they're, there's no more likelihood of people finishing the event when they take these painkillers um, as opposed to when they, when they don't. And it's actually more likely that they don't finish because of uh, gastrointestinal problems, cardiovascular problems, um, and I think it'll be really interesting to, to have an episode devoted to that. Uh, mm. Well, I, t- I took a painkiller during the marathon when I was running. Um, about 17 mile mark, my legs were just bit. And someone gave me a ibuprofen, and my legs felt grand after it. Like, <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm not promoting it or anything, uh, but um, yeah. it could have been the whole placebo effect as well. Mm-hmm. It could have been mind over matter, but... Yeah. It got me up a hole. It may well have, and and you know, a placebo effect in in all areas is, is is really interesting, and especially in running, we know that from a placebo point of view, when we talk about trainers, it's not always the the, the makeup and the, and the structure of the shoe. Sometimes it can be the color of the shoe. Yeah, that yeah. would appear to make someone run better, <laughs> run further, run faster, uh, as opposed to a, a you know a, maybe a a red pair where they didn't like it. It just didn't work for them, yeah. um, and then people wear training shoes that are really old, um, and that again defies logic because lots of evidence would suggest that you know you have a certain mileage in each shoe. Yeah. Uh, and although recently I've read that that's maybe not as accurate as it as they thought it was. Right. So again, that's the beauty of evidence and evidence base. Things change, parameters change, and you need to keep reading and 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 keeping up to date, and and scrutinising the studies. Um, yeah. And what type of studies and what was the population size and what were the variables you, you need to, to at any level you need to not just believe what you read mm-hmm. it's about looking at what way this the this, this experiment was set out yeah um was things equal to start with or was yeah. there differences and so it's, it's a placebo placebo is important that, that's something i never really thought of before you know you think when you when you read some sort of scientific study that this is all fa- facts based but I suppose when you delve deeper into it then, and you know, say if it's, you know, 60% of X has had this effect, but there was only 10 people in the study, you know, yeah, the, yeah. then so the... Suddenly you're, so already, without me even talking about it tonight, you, you are studying and you are uh, watching out for the mm-hmm. 10 people. Uh, is it really a big enough sample uh, for any kind of study? Uh, Probably not. You, the bigger, the better. The bigger the, the numbers, then the more relative it is to real life. Yeah. And yeah. you... you, you you see these advertisements on TV for different products, especially women's products. Ninety-nine percent of the population selected 
approve of this product mm-hmm. and then it'll say population size 15 yeah yeah you know and this is this is a a, a, a global advertisement for a product yeah. you think that's just ridiculous i wonder do people realize it it's it's hard to it's one of the things that i find um you know <clears throat> when you're researching certain things uh you think you're going down the right route by you know looking at studies and um it takes you a while to realize that you need to look into the methodologies as you said looking at how many times the study was cited and what i find to be effective is um going to research reviewers mm. you know people who review mm. uh, all the literature and can i give you a, an opinion on yeah. you know an overview of it all your your, co- your cochrane libraries the, those are the libraries that you can go online and check those out mm. so they're 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 libraries that do that uh, and and they would pull all evidence yeah. on any topic yeah. um from everywhere mm-hmm. and they're full-time full-term researchers that go and get that and bring back the data yeah. and then they look at it again and look at the repeatability and and just check this there's so many famous studies yeah that have been proved to be nonsense yeah. and rubbish right but they've been in pretty good papers you know they've been in pretty mm. um pretty the lancet for example yeah you know nobody's flawless yeah these these papers have committees and boards that try and make sure they get a a, a proper um paper mm-hmm. um with good evidence but it's, sometimes things can creep through and it's always worth just reading round topics mm. um you can always get a fringe study, uh-huh. which can even be peer reviewed, and it's still turning out to be not very well uh, regulated or whatever, you know. And then you can get bogged down too much in it. Mm. You know, there's people who have been running certain NDRA 50, 60 years ago that wouldn't have had any of the yeah. expertise that's out there now, and they had no issues. They're fine. And, I, yeah. um, well, uh, the guy we had on last week, for, or, or the on episode three, was the winner of the risks the last two years. Brilliant. And so we were thinking, right, this guy's you know, top level. He's yeah. going to be well into the science, you know. Yeah. He's going to be doing everything by the book. And we got him on and was like, right, did you do your lactate threshold test? And he was like, no, nah, I don't believe in it. Yeah. And basically all he did was just put on the time, yeah. just worked hard. Yeah. And there he was, came first, set the record, you know, so. That's it. That's I can believe that. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was it was impressive uh, you know, that he that he doesn't go down any technical route. Even even with that, uh, even with that, it was like ah, you know, I still like they still uh, like to enjoy myself. I don't uh, really believe on being too strict. He's just a natural. He's just a, a genetic it's, freak. You know? It's 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 there in all sports. You know, you mm. you might tra- train me as a nineteen year old and give me advice on how to be a footballer. Yeah, but it's just that natural flair. You either have it or you don't. Mm-hmm. And with all of the top scientists in the world, they back a sixteen year old. Uh, and nutritionists, yeah. if they don't have it, they don't have it. Yeah. Um. So, these things can help, but it's just it's good that we can you can do this and and the podcasts are to get to share your learning and share the information and we're all learning. Yeah. Always. Um. Well, would you feel AMA questions? Uh, uh, so just before we start, um, during the week we put out a a thing online um to ask some of our listeners if they had any questions that they wanted to ask you, Patrick. Yeah. Um, and we got a couple of questions on, so we'll just we'll run through them here now. All right. So the first ones, um, Danny Quigley sent us in a question about transplants. Yeah. We're very common. Most people would get them, and he was just wondering: is there anything that you can do to prevent them, deal with them, and maybe treat them afterwards if you're if you've already got them? Um, transplants quite a common issue. Um, the 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 large muscle in the front of your leg. 
um, is your decelerating muscle. Um, and often what happens is if, you've, if you're pronating and supinating far too quickly, you get the shearing stress um, and the muscle in question will be overused um, and then it becomes painful yeah. at the junction where it, it meets with the bone. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, if it's something that's there, it's always likely to come back at some stage in the future right. because of the mechanics of how his foot is. Right, okay. So that's the kind of person that you're looking for to stop that rapid pronation and supination. And and and, and I don't see any kind of exercises that would prevent shin splints. Yeah. To, to me, it's something in the shoe. Yeah. Generally, he, that's the kind of guy that you're looking for an, an orthotic. Right, okay. To, to just to help the foot out and, and to prevent those stresses and strains on the foot. Um, and then... F- if you do that, then hopefully you shouldn't have it as a recurring problem. Yeah. So you won't have to worry about it again. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously stopping your running yeah. when you start shin splints, there's, there's no point in running through it. Yeah. Um, and then your 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 old your old remedies is your rice and your your rest and ice and compression yeah, yeah, okay. elevation won't do any harm either in your ice packs and your all that kind of stuff, you mm-hmm. know. Um, but to me, that's long term. Go and get yourself assessed. Right. Okay. There's plenty of podiatrists mm. uh, locally. Who, who can take that on and have a good look at it and see yeah so there's nothing DIY you can do just maybe go and get it checked out go, get, go, uh, to me I would be go and, get, go and mm. get someone to have a look at it and is there a, is there a few different things that can cause shin splints um, I remember years ago when I was boxing the, the coach said it was the tibia and the fibia you know when you were when you were hitting the ground they were grinding off each other any truth to that no N- uh, no, no. Uh, <laughs> where, where the Tib and fib meet uh, at the top of your leg. Yeah, is nowhere near where the shin splints would occur. Right. Okay. So it's your anterior muscle grip. Yeah. Uh, which is down a good six seven inches from mm. well, depending on what height you are. Yeah. Um. So no, I don't think there'll be a relationship with that. There you are. One math down. But that that <laughs> probably made sense whenever you were when I was twelve or thirteen. That's I that's fair enough. I remember thinking, ah, makes sense. <laughs> um, another quote. This was actually from Danny too. Um tight calves um, running and cycling again any tub, any tubs to help mitigate it prehab post exercise you know sure you've, you've, you've all the literature in the world if you if yeah. you're if you're online with tight calves um, physiotherapists great people for um, prescribing exercises and stretches mm-hmm. and generally tight calves can be the precursor for an awful lot of foot problems yeah so it's vitally important that you get those calves stretched out um, during the day, mm. specifically in the morning before you get out of bed. Yeah. So before you're you're sleeping at night, things can tighten and recoil. Yeah. And then you stand with your body weight on on your tendo Achilles, um, which is the structure that leads up to your gastrocnemius and soleus yeah. muscles. And if they're tight, then you're going to feel them first thing in the morning more so. Mm. So good stretching regime. Um, a habit of stretching before you get out of bed. Yeah, we we lose that instinct as we get older. Yeah, but you see young children doing it and animals. Yeah, you should be stretching before you get out of bed. Right. I suppose there's a natural thing there. You know, when you wake up and you just naturally kind of stretch. stretch, put the arms above the head, and I suppose it makes sense. And you've a lot of people too who like to do yoga sessions for maybe thirty minutes when they get out of bed, mm. and they swear by it. Yeah, right, so and, and and without knowing much about the evidence, I can totally see why and how that would work. Mm. Um, they're 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 getting these structures stretched because you sleep for, you know, if you're healthy enough and you're able and you're lucky enough, mm. you know, a good seven eight hours each night. That 
you want to get that stretched in the morning yeah um and then during the day stretch things out and and societies maybe we're just too busy you, you get up yeah you jump in the shower and away you go mm-hmm. there's no time to stretch but to me it's pivotal yeah there's an awful lot of conditions where good stretching program would prevent you from needing orthotics um yeah. the other one i can think of is, is plantar fasciitis yeah which is a, a chronic inflammation of your um the structure underneath your heel right okay which may or may not be associated with with, with heel spurs mm-hmm. sometimes you see x-rays and there's a heel spur there and they say that's why you've plantar fasciitis and and uh, is that just bone growth on the extra bone growth on the heel is it or? yeah underneath the heel yeah. Um, and it kind of grows forward but generally that's a mis- misnomer it's it's not relevant it's not important yeah. um, an awful lot of people have heel spurs with no plantar fasciitis um, but if, if if your calf muscles are very tight mm. um, I I find that people will present to me with plantar fasciitis yeah. and first step is stretching programs good stretching programs for fasciitis if in the plantar um, fasciitis in my experience, generally does an awful lot of good, right? Uh, and I don't like to go down that road of orthotic intervention straight away. Yeah, unless it's necessary. Yeah, unless yeah. they've tried the stretching, and most of them haven't. Yeah, you lose the, you lose you lose the will to stretch because mm-hmm. things are too busy, and stretching's vital. I think all athletes should know they're stretching and should do it. It's important. It's something that's getting more and more popular these days. Mm. That's the only thing, though. I yeah. think uh, in the past, people didn't devote very much time at all stretching um, apart from the sports obviously where it was necessary but certainly and with them with training and resistance training so on you know it's a must <coughs> yeah mobility and flexibility is a big thing now and as as is core stability mm. and we've talked about this just before we started yeah uh, anybody typically i see a lot of couch to 5k which most normal people do <laughs> they uh <Five> <laughs> Um, Don't get out of my bed for five which, <laughs> <laughs> So this would be my type of running, which I I can't don't do, mm. um, or 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 don't and can't can't and don't. If you're overweight or you're a bit heavy and you want to start running, you know for health reasons and for yep. for um, physical mental health, you develop problems right and quick yeah. because your core stability is rubbish. Yeah, because you've sat at my weight, overweight for so many years, you've never exercised, and suddenly you're out firing along the roads. You're you're not going to last very long. And core stability, you could even have a, a topic uh, devoted an hour for that. Yeah, core stability is so important. Mm-hmm. Without good core stability, you're going to run into all sorts of gluteal problems, hamstring problems, recurrent problems, if the core's not good. So that's something you may want to pick up on with a physio or yeah. Um, it's something you would often hear from runners. People starting out, you know, they're they're runners and may low back sore. Hmm. Um, but I suppose that's a good reason they stress the importance of tipping up your training. Don't just jump on the five k. Yeah, you know, start yeah. from the bottom, work yeah. your way up. There's plenty of clubs doing it and people doing it, and and there's always help. And it's it's never a good idea to start doing these things yourself. Yeah, people have made the mistake, so you don't have to. Yeah, you know, go along with them. There's groups there. Um, that can guide you and gently break you in yeah. and before you know it I find a lot of runners become quickly addicted to running yeah. and they can't cope without running um, so slowly and surely and if it's there it's there yeah um, here's oh, you a more technical one um, Declan Long sent in a question about torn ligaments so he's had them now five times so reoccurring torn ligaments in the ankle and he's looking to know 
if there's anything that can be done, if supports or any kind of aids are helpful for them, and is running just a no-go for him with torn ligaments in his ankle? Five times. Five times. Right, so there's an awful lot of damage in there and, and adhesions. Mm-hmm. Um, when your ligament is has been damaged and repairs itself, it doesn't have the same elasticity. Right. It doesn't have the same properties as it did before. And you've done that five times. Mm. Something wrong. There's something not right there. There's something he, he probably needs to go to a physio yeah. and get himself assessed or a podiatrist. Um, there, there's help there for him. Funnily enough, out of all of the sports, I would probably say running would be most suitable for somebody with um, chronic ankle instability. Right. Um, because you're you're running in one one plane. Yeah. You're running straight. There's as no opposed to there's and no twisting, yeah. turning, moving. You're not a it's no soccer, no Gaelic, no rugby. Yeah. You're running straight. Yeah. So if he gets himself um, assessed, you may find that there's something underlying. Mm. Can it be sorted? Can it be fixed? Can he help? I don't know. Yeah. At this stage, it's an awful lot of damage there. Yeah. Um. So you'd be walking. You'd be getting a good rehab program from a physio. Yeah. Um. There's plenty of them in Derry. Again, good physios that would be working purely on rehab for ankle instability. Yeah. And for the ligamentous damage, but that that's an interesting one. Right. And someone you mentioned this too when we were down getting analysis. What do you th- what do you make of your knee supports and your ankle supports? And would you be a big believer? Would you put a lot under them or? Um, I suppose for me a support over a joint or a structure mm. uh, the whole purpose is to prevent um, the motion yeah. that, 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 that's going on too much so if you do something which will prevent that motion and that uh, repeated action then maybe it will help will it still be working after 26 miles? I don't know Yeah, I don't know if the evidence is there for that and it's the same with those tapes yeah. people stick on kinesio tape yeah, I yeah. think that there was a huge um, litigation case this year. Right. You may want to look into that. I didn't see that. Yeah. But it's what the, 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 the tape makers were, manufacturers were claiming that this stuff did, mm. when in actual fact it didn't and there was no evidence. Yeah. So they ended up in an awful bad way about it. Mm. So it's And it's very popular, uh, and some yep. people are really keen on it. Yeah. But again, go and look at the literature, go and look at the evidence. Go and check it out yourself, and 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 if it's something that works for you, then fair enough. Yeah. Uh, if you're standing on the start line, day any race, you know you look. Everyone yeah. has blue tip yeah. legs, yeah. lower back, all over the place. So. Yeah, and, you know, and and is that the placebo effect, or do we have robust evidence to say this stuff works? There's a lot of woo woo out there, isn't it? It's hard for any lay person they they cipher through it all. Filter it all out. And you, some of it's coming from people that you would trust too, you know. And and maybe they, they, you know, I'm sure there's things that I may have said today that isn't entirely accurate. Yeah. Um, but it's it's putting it all together. It's yeah. getting people to actually come out and say what they think, so mm. that you can ha- you can spark it a bit and you can talk about it and you know you can reflect. Um, and reflections is vital for mm. any any athlete and anybody in endurance. Um, but as long as there's as long as there's data there, people can have different opinions on the data. But there's just some things that there's no data at all for, yeah. and that they're yeah. they're being sold at a premium to people, you know. Yeah. Um, and like I say, it's hard for people they they filter through them like. Um. So that's all the AMAs. Ankle impingements would that be something we could talk about? No. No. Um. ACL or MCL tears or runner's knee. Again, you you would 
probably um, a lot of my referrals would come from physios. Right. Okay. Um, who have taken people and have managed the care. Yeah. Initially and right through, um, and then you know, with with the help that they they've been given and the stretching and the exercises, um, at times there is a a a need for orthotics. Mm. Um, and soles can come in all different shapes and sizes. There's over the counter. Yeah. You can make them yourself. Um, I have a lab at home where I can adjust and amend and lift up and lift down, and you can get them custom made as well. Yeah. And so would that be so on see if you're doing an ansole for for a client? Yeah. Would it be you would ball the ansole and then you would have them back then and see if the ansole's working, you would correct it further? Or yeah. Is it something yeah. you can so, so get you, right bang on the first time round? You if if you you like to think that you do it first time round. Yeah. Uh, and normally you do. Based on your, your history, your examination, your gait analysis, um, what you think's going on. You can lift them various degrees and you mm. can you know, you can manipulate the foot. Yeah. Um, bring the ground force reaction delayed or bring it forward quicker, and I find really good results with the custom made yeah. ones that I adapt to and change myself just by looking and seeing what's going on. Yeah. And then you let the symptoms dictate afterwards. They back. They're always back for review. Yeah. Regardless of if they're feeling great or not, they mm. must come back for a review. Um, because you're you're responsible for that device. It's a medical device in their shoe. Very rarely do I need to cast, which is a, an impression of a plaster porous around their foot. Or now I see that they're using iPads to take a picture and that's sent off to a lab. Uh, and, and apparently the, the data and accuracy is, is much the same as a, a cast. Cast a plaster porous where they send it off, fill it, backfill it with plaster and then mould yeah. for your foot. Wow. Um, but then again, there's a huge debate. Is custom made much better than... than um, over the counters or, 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 or semi bespoke insoles, mm. uh, you could go on for all night. Um, yeah, talking about it. But it's it's doing it's doing what what works. Yeah. You know, if if a patient comes back to me repeatedly and then we're never getting anywhere, you you have to try. See, mm. yeah. if you're if you give an orthotic to somebody, is there can the orthotic correct or correct sorry whatever you've given it to them for like is it something that they can finally yeah. be rid of or are they an unorthotic for the rest of their lives generally i find that they need the orthotic yeah. generally yeah nine times out of ten they're going to have to keep that orthotic in their shoe um much like a pair of glasses mm. you take them off you, you don't suddenly still see yeah you need to put them back on again it's yeah. and orthotics are are the same um but they need to be well fitted need to be properly fitted somebody who's fitting them with a good rationale as to why they're doing it mm. Because you can cause other problems if they're not fitted properly. Yeah. So you may well, you know, give someone a bit of pain at the hip that they didn't have before. Yeah. Um, if you've got the insole too high or you've got it sitting in the wrong way, which is why a review appointment is so, so important. You would imagine that um, just anybody, if it wants to get an orthotic, you would imagine just because their whole gait's going to be different now that they would experience some sort of pain anyway, just being thrown out of kind of the, what they would, you know, normally walk as or run as or there's a there's a whole science to, to wearing it and soles and orthotics yeah. um um and building them up you would never just put them in your shoe you know where you go mm. it's always a case of gradually building them up and getting used to them right okay. over the space of two or three weeks if you put them in your shoe from day one you will you cause you will cause problems yeah um and it's something you need to avoid it's it's it's, it's given the orthotic as a package of here's how you wear them yeah 
you know, and and having the right footwear to go with them, mm. um, having the right shoe, having them laced. You know, the basics. If you're slipping, uh, any runner out there that's slipping in and out of their running shoes, uh, they're 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 going to end up in trouble. Mm. You're you you should never be able to slip in and out of your laced pair of running trainers. Yeah. Some some do. Um, I know one guy that did it, and I asked him about his office sore back. I can't bend down the my laces. He was a runner, but you shouldn't you shouldn't be able to to um, slip in and out of your your training shoe. Needs to be opened and closed and tied. Yeah. Um, which brings me on to me, maybe my last piece. Um, yeah. If if you do have a shoe uh, that's that's too there's too much movement there, then you're a banker for the basic stuff blisters. Yeah. You're going to get blisters. It's blistering is just too much rubbing of skin um, over certain areas. It always happens over bony prominences. So it's you very rarely get a blister up in the arch of your foot. Mm. It's normally on areas where it's contacting the ground and it's rubbing. Yeah. Uh, and it's just repeated friction where you get fluid building up between layers of skin. Um, and you you may spend six months preparing and then get a nasty blister which stops you running. Yeah. So th- that's the type of thing that, you know, the basics that you want to be looking after is is have your your shoes properly fitted. You're always going to wear a shoe that's a bit bigger than what you're measured for. Yeah. So if you're measuring a size 9, you really should be wearing a 9.5 nine or a 10. Yeah. Some people get measured and then they wear that same size of shoe. And if we do know that the foot elongates and gets longer during marathon running, uh, there is a lot of work out there on the size of a foot. And then 26 miles later, there is that bit bigger, yeah. you know, temporarily. Uh, it's it's gravity. Yeah. It's it's the structures of, of the foot that are getting pressed and pressure. So if you're measuring nine and wearing a nine and you run for 26 miles, Going to get tight down there. You're yeah. going. You're going to have black toenails. You're yeah. going to have bleeding toenails. Um, yeah. so it's footwear. Just the basics is is is, is worth following up. Yeah. Um, skin reduction. If you get too much skin building up, plaques of skin and, and calluses on your feet, they they can become painful. So they need to be removed. And normally you remove them with a chiropodist or a podiatrist. Mm. Um, people come to me often about odor within their feet um, underlying fungal infections verrucas a nasty verruca could hold you back as well because yeah. they f- most of them 50% of all verrucas will go within a year and the rest will clear off later when your body recognises they're there um, and it fights them off mm. if that happens some of them you can have for 10 years Jesus. and so, so you know some of them when, generally whenever they become painful or spread then we start treating before that, it's nobody likes treating verrucas because they're they're hard work. Just deal with it over the counter. They're, well, uh, as the, much as you can, yeah. Providing you're not diabetic and you have no other comorbidities, no other problems. If you're diabetic, of course, you shouldn't be using products over the counter for your feet. Right. Doesn't you shouldn't be using acids. You shouldn't be using blades. That's an absolute no-no. You don't touch your feet with any anything if you're diabetic. Um. Again, for a different day, but. Is that something that they check over the counter if you go and they purchase this should, cream? They should do, mm. but no, they don't. Uh, because I bought, uh, my wee girl's not diabetic, but she had a frugga and I got her bazooka, but there was no mention of diabetes or anything, you know. Yeah, no, no, you, you, you just don't go there, mm. ever. Mm. If ever you're getting treatment and you're diabetic with a frugga, you need to, it needs to be really well controlled. So it's always going to be a podiatrist that, that treats that. 
because there's yeah. so much potential. It's an acid. It doesn't know good skin and bad skin. It'll eat through all skin. And if it's too much, it can go really deep and cause nasty and problems. So, no. Yeah. You, and, and all pharmacists and all, all people that I know and I work with, they'll always ask me diabetic yeah. uh, any history of, you know, any um, vascular problems or, or problems with blood supply. To the f- you just don't want to be going down that road. Mm-hmm. Um, toenails, damaged toenails. All runners get black damaged toenails. They all get really thick. That's probably an indication that their footwear somewhere somewhere along the line has been too tight, just too neat. Um, and there's a balance. You can't yeah. have somebody running around like a clown with size 12. Yeah. Hmm. Trainers in their size 6. Um, but you'll get bleeding there. Um, and then ingrown toenails. If you're running and you're doing a lot of miles and you're sweating, you can find that the, the big toe... Um, repeated damage and trauma and the sweat they can get an ingrown toenail on the corner of their toe which is where a piece of the nails um, pierces through the tissue and the skin and they're very sore Mm. and you've got you know all sorts of stuff coming from it and it can get infected the simple things that could knock you off from race day (laughs) the things that you want to avoid and that's my run up um, of of the simple stuff for you're looking after your feet for, for endurance and for running Mm-hmm. Although I would say toenails would probably grow a great length by the time you start your race and finish your race. <laughs> <laughs> An awful lot of growth. <laughs> make sure they keep them tidy. Uh. Maybe cut them during during the race. Uh. <laughs> Stop on your transition. Uh, well, remember to put that in the transition box. Toenail clippers. Toenail clippers, because it'll take that long. <laughs> hey, but it could be. Well, well no, I suppose you would know. Um, anything else then? No, is that no I think that's no, we, we covered everything we had, we had hoped to cover anyway um, really appreciate you coming on Patrick right. it's uh, brilliant to have you on and, and go through all that so. not at all not at all it's a pleasure uh, and I wish you well and if anything if you don't finish it it's not failure uh, Yeah, you've already done more than most um, so just enjoy and good luck with it and uh. Well, we'll keep you updated anyway. Yeah. On, on oh, I'm keeping an eye. And, uh, and if anybody's any questions after this, fire away. Aye. If, it, if anybody has any questions at all, send them on to us and, and we'll pass them on to Patrick. So. Yeah. And then I'll pass them on to somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> right. Thanks very much, Brilliant. Patrick. Thanks very much, right. Patrick. Good luck. All right. Thank you. This is Speaking of Coasty, it's the 150k podcast. You can follow our journey online at the Coasty 250k Facebook page, Instagram, or AidenDollyFitness.com.